good morning, folks. Good to see y'all. I know someone told me we know now you can quit before 12, but that's when we're eating. So today we're going to redeem the time. Amen? God bless you. I don't know about y'all, but it's a wonderful thing to think that God loved us so much that he sent his son and that he became one of us through the virgin birth, the immaculate conception. The, he became a human. You know, the Bible says, don't turn there yet, just listen for now. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public, can't see that part, example, <laughs> was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I want you to hear. And she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why do we celebrate? Because we're all sinners condemned to hell, separated from God who loved us, created us. And if he can't save us, there ain't much reason in celebrating his birth any more than your birth. Paul said it is a trustworthy statement, worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners who I am chief. If the Apostle Paul realized that he was chief of sinners, what does that make us and our neighbors and our nation and the world that we look out and see today? How much does our world need a Savior right now? Yet most of them go totally oblivious to their need, spiritually dead and blind, and they will die in a condition that will send them for eternally separation from God unless they hear from Jesus. But most of us will focus more on decorations and toys and family gatherings, which are all good. But guys, if there's ever been a time of the year where you should step up to the plate and hit a home run for Jesus, it's now. Whether will you tell your loved ones that are living without Christ during this holiday? If you'll ever, and I want to speak to us this morning, I want to remind you of some verses this morning. If you get in this Bible, it don't take long to realize that if God blesses you, he expects us to let others know, amen? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I don't know about y'all, but one day Satan owned me. But I got redeemed and now God owns me, amen? I'm a purchased possession and you are too if you've been saved. When's the last time you let somebody know that you've been redeemed, that there was a price paid for you, that you was bought with the blood of the Lamb of God on the cross of Calvary who was sacrificed for you to set you free from the bondage of sin and the ownership of the enemy, and now we're a child of the king. Can I get an amen? But we ought to be shouting about that. But if we're not careful, we forget. That's Old Testament. New Testament says this. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their 
testimony. I don't know about you, but if you've been saved, you got a testimony. The blood of the Lamb does something to you that you don't have to wonder. If you ever get under the fountain of Emmanuel's veins, you don't need a preacher to tell you something happened. You know something happened. The guilt of your sin, the shame of who you are outside of God's mercy is washed away from you, and you have a relationship that will never leave you the same When the blood gets on you, you're a new creature. Can I get an amen? And when he puts his spirit in you, he seals you to the day of redemption that you are a purchased possession. We are purchased. We're possessions of God. Friends, that ought to make us want to give a testimony. Amen? And it ought to be more than I got saved when I was 12, walked out and got baptized. It ought to be that God did something lately. He's made a difference in your life. And he's making a difference in your life. And every day, life's worth living because you got God in it. And we ought to be able to speak that out if we're where we're supposed to be. Because if you're right with God this morning, you got the Holy Spirit in you. We've been singing about it. And friends, Paul said this. I mean, Peter. Peter said that we ought to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. I mean, set him apart. Out of all the things in your heart, even your wife on your 31st anniversary, it's not as important as you've been saved in God's relationship. And friends, we ought to sanctify, set that apart every day and always be ready to give a defense. What's a defense? An argument for Jesus. Why? To everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. You know what I find? We don't get asked much about God. I wonder why. Maybe they don't see much of God in us. Because Scripture assumes that if we're sanctifying the Lord in our heart and living for him, people's going to look at us and they're going to have a question. Why are you the way you are? Why do you believe what you believe? And friends, the whole purpose that we're here today is that God is still using us. Look at what it says in the book of Acts. This is some of the last words that Jesus said before he ascended and went back to heaven. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to me. He told them in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. Friends, listen, we ought to be talking about Jesus, not Santa. We ought to be consumed with the gift of salvation, not under a tree. Not that that's bad. I'm not here to condemn that. But if that has robbed us and taken the place of what Christmas is about, then you need to hear the sermon I want to speak to you today. Because I want to talk to you a minute. When I read the book of Acts, look what it says about the church, newborn. The church hadn't been there long. Chapter 4, Paul and Peter do a miracle. They get put in jail for preaching, teaching Jesus. And, and, And they wouldn't quit teaching Jesus. They go back and they tell the church. And look what it says the church done. They didn't say, oh, they're taking away our rights. They're the government's going awry and going to the left. No, they got a hold of Jesus and they called on God in prayer. And it says that when they, the church, had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. If you've never, ever, my friend, spoke out the word of God, let the redeem of the Lord say so. I've been washed in the blood and I got a testimony and I can't help it. I got to testify because God's done something to me and he can do it for you. Something's wrong in our life. The church has no power of the Holy Spirit or the church would be talking about Jesus. So we got to look at the scripture and say, I wonder why. Because I don't believe we believe anymore. 
that the message of the cross has the power to save any sinner and change any life. Or we'd be telling our folks more about that than the things we have settled to tell them about. This morning, I want to ask you to turn me to the book of 2 Kings. I want to show you a soul-winning story. You say, what's that got to do with Christmas? We'll get there. 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 14 eventually, but we're just going to start out. And I'm going to read to you about a man who needed a lot of God's mercy. His name was Naaman. Ain't many people in here ain't heard of him. And he reminds me of the majority of the people we'll spend Christmas with. You don't know this, but there's going to be a Naaman come and take presents probably from your tree. There's going to be a Naaman possibly sit at your Christmas table. There's a Naaman that lives by you probably across the street. And it looks like he's doing okay, but, but something's wrong with him. Naaman was that such kind of person. How many of you knows a but usually in Scripture is something good? Man, you're going to hell. You've been condemned because you're a sinner, but Jesus died for you. Amen. Thank you for that but. But this is a but that shows you sometimes in our life we may have a lot of good things, but one bad thing can mess up all those good things. Naaman was a man who had a lot going for him. He was a national hero. He was the commander of the king of Syria's army, and God had given victory over the enemy, and everyone looked to Naaman, and Naaman was a very mighty man of valor, but Naaman was a leper. Equal to stage four cancer. COVID, and he's on the vet, and he ain't coming off. Friends, I want you to think about this as we read this. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, the king. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, he was also a mighty man of valor, but Naaman was a leper. I want to introduce you to these people in this story. First, there's Naaman. And last, there's Elijah. They're the big, most important two, you think, in the story. But there's people in the middle of the story. I want you to think about Naaman. Naaman was a lot like a lot of the people we see. He was successful at what he was. He was a professional soldier who had risen to the highest rank commander of the king's army. He was not only successful in the fact that he risen to the highest rank, but in that position, he was given victory over the enemy. And he was looked on by the greatest person in the kingdom, the king himself, with honor and respect. He was a national hero. Everyone knew about Naaman. Naaman had everything going for him, but he was a leper. You're going to see people at Christmas who have good jobs, beautiful families, wonderful homes. Everything the American dream tells you is all there is to get, but they're a sinner. And they're without Christ. And friends, to die without Christ, Jesus himself said, what does it profit a man to, to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And I want you to think about this. Leprosy was a dreaded 
as an incurable disease in their day. Without a miracle, leprosy would lead to severe disfigurement and eventually a horribly painful death. Those characteristics make it a frequent illustration for sin in the scriptures. You see, just like leprosy, sin destroys the beauty and the quality of life. All those things that he'd worked so hard for, all those great qualities didn't matter when leprosy showed up. And friends, these people sometimes we look at, they got every advantage in the world. They're born in America, the greatest country in the world. They have the greatest opportunities in the land of the free, at least for now, if they'll serve the Lord and work hard and do good to prosper. And some of them seem to be, but... They're sinners. And when you get to watching them real close, some of them ain't as happy as they think they are. Some of them ain't as financially as they seem to be. Some of them are in debt up to their net. Some of them are barely getting by in their marriage. Some of them's got kids that are breaking their hearts. And some of them's families are so dysfunctional on the inside of that home that on the outside it may look like a mansion. But on the inside, it's not what it looks like. That's what's going on in a whole lot of homes. And I can give you one number one reason why. No Jesus. There ain't a dysfunctional home, dysfunctional enough that Jesus can't come in, organize, and fix it. Amen? There ain't a marriage so far gone and broken that Jesus can't fix. I'm here to testify. Eight years in, hours stopped. Jesus wasn't there. Jesus showed up with a six-month interval. He put it back together, and it's better than ever. 31 years, she's still going strong. Praise God to Jesus. I wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't for Jesus. I wouldn't be married to that woman if it wasn't for Jesus. I wouldn't be going to heaven if it wasn't for Jesus. Jesus changes lives. I was a naming. I looked good. I worked hard. I had a lot of people liked me, and they, I was always the kind of person. I don't know why I can make friends I always had a bunch of folks like me. My mama told me, she said, I seen you on the playground, Marvin. I knew when you was little, you as a leader, you was leading people, but you led them for the wrong way for a long time. People followed you. But I don't know why, but you know what? Sin, addiction, drunkenness, drugs. We don't want to talk about that anymore. Friends, listen, when they get on this kind of stuff, oh, yeah, well, it's prescription. It's from the doctor. It's ruining lives. But it's all a result of sin. Jesus came to save sinners. Your family member, he may have everything on the outside looking good, but if he's sin and without Christ, he's a leper. Let me tell you what it, it means to be a leper. Sin destroys the beauty and the quality of life. Just like leprosy, sin spreads in your life and eventually brings destruction. Your sins will find you out. Your sin will eventually cost you more than you want to pay. Stay longer than you want it to stay. I forget how it goes, but y'all know what I mean. Amen. You don't want sin to be in your life that is beyond your ability to control. Now, some of us have accepted sin, so you don't really realize how powerful it is till you want to quit. How many of you have had a, a debilitating sin, maybe an emotional sin or an attitude sin or even an addiction-type sin? And it was hurting you and the ones you loved the most, but you couldn't quit. That's what happened to me. I didn't want to be that drunkard anymore. I didn't want to be that person who destroyed my marriage more than I helped it, but I couldn't quit. Friends, listen, there's people all around us, just like Naaman, who need a miracle. You see, Naaman represents what it means to be a sinner. 
You can have everything going for you, but you have leprosy. You have sin. May I tell you that sin is worse than stage four cancer, pandemic COVID-19, and everything else out there that's killing us put together. Because eventually sin don't only just kill you physically, sin kills you spiritually and you live for eternity separated from the creator, giver of life, true life. If you do not know Christ as your Savior today, Naaman's condition represents you. It does. And sin's going to continue to dis- deform the beauty that God gave you the potential to have. That's what the Bible says. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God made us to be more than we are in sin, but sin robs us of the beauty and the glory that God put in us when he created us in his image. And now his image is marred because of sin, and sin is robbing you. And that's why there's so many people who are looking for everything else to try to fill a hole that only God can fill, to find purpose and meaning in life, and to be truly successful in life. I don't know what you think of successful in life. Successful in life is to live a life that is fulfilling and satisfying, that has purpose beyond here, because everything here is going to end. To live a life that when you leave here, you have the possibility to stand before the king of kings, not the king of Syria, not the king of Israel, not the president of the United States, the king of it all, and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on into your reward. What's robbing you of your reward? Sin. Things in your life that shouldn't be there. And Naaman is a perfect picture of but. Man, I go to church. I've been in church my whole life. I tithe, but. I got this sin that's in there every day and I can't get away. The only one that will ever remove it is Jesus. But you got to want him to. And friends, sometimes we forget that there's a message that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believe it. To the Jew first and also everybody else. And friends, it says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's not a person you'll meet, no matter how messed up, no matter how bold, much sin has hurt them that God can't fix. That's Naaman. Here's Naaman. He's the commander. God blesses him. They defeat Israel, and they take their spoil. And out of the spoil, he takes a little girl, a little Israeli girl, a Jewish girl. We don't know how old she is. We don't even know her name. But he takes her as his own, brings her home to his house, gives him to his wife as a gift. And says, here you go, babe, she'll clean house, cook, whatever you want her to do, she's yours. I don't know about you, but that wouldn't make me like Naaman. Surely wouldn't want me to make Naaman get saved or see his leprosy healed. But she ends up serving Naaman's wife. Here's Naaman, he's got a wife, he's got a home, he's a rich man, he's a well-liked man, he's a popular He has prestige, and the Bible even says that he was a godly man to a degree because it says that Naaman was a man of valor, a a mighty man of valor, but he's a leper. 
She sees inside the home. Imagine when he went outside amongst the public, he did everything he could to cover it up. That's what we do, our sin. He cut all the sores. He probably had nothing showing but his hands. If his hand had leprosy on it, he probably wore a glove. He did everything he did to look as good as he could to hide that leprosy. But when he got home in the midst of his family, that leprosy was there. And that little slave girl seen it. And she says something that is amazing to me, this captive from Israel. Look at the next verse, verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back this little captive, a young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. She told the wife. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. I would imagine Naaman come home, his wife seen him, loved her husband, seen how pitiful the situation was. She says, honey, that little girl said that there is a man of God back in her land in Israel that can heal you. The little girl must have convinced the wife, the little girl must have, that life and that little girl together convinced Naaman enough that Naaman goes to the king. He goes to his king. The person who he thought could do most because the king had full authority. He had funds and riches. If there was anybody that could help Naaman besides this prophet, it was the king of Israel. I mean, the king of Syria. You know what? The king of Syria here is the good king. He did what he could, the best he could. Listen to what it says. Then the king of Syria said, Go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. I'm going to tell him. So he departed and he took with him, look at this, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, personally handwritten from the king of Syria. And it said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I may send, I've sent Naaman, my servant, to you that you may heal him. Guys, listen, I don't know where the riches came from. I don't know if they were uh, Naaman's already, if they were the king. I suspect they were the king because I looked it up. That was 150 pounds of gold. Do you know how much 150 pounds of gold? I'd like to have 150 pounds of gold, amen. We wouldn't be worried about the parking lot right now. 75 pounds of silver and 10 changes of clothing. And he brings it. The king's thinking, man, I've got money. I've got authority. I'll send him, order him to heal you, and I'll pay him to do it. But you know, the plan of salvation don't work that way. You can't earn it, and you can't buy it. God just gives it to who are humble enough to say, oh, God, help me. I need it. So they show up at the king of Israel. Just as the church is where the people of God are at on the earth today in the New Testament, the king of Israel and the land of Israel was where the people of God was on the earth in their day. He was king over God's people. If anybody should have known about the God of Israel and the prophet of Israel and what he could do, it was this king. This king reminds me of so many people in the church. He reminds me of myself. This man shows up who is their enemy, who's been kicking their tail. Remember, Naaman's been victorious against them. 
instead of looking at this a way to mend fences in a way that we might be able to form a peace agreement and an alliance and come together, he looks at it as a problem. And friends, so they, he, he comes with the letter. And look at verse 7, the king of Israel. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider, see how he seeks a quarrel with me. You know what he's seen this as? A problem. You know what I see people in the church? Lost people dying, going to hell. What's going on down at your church? Um, how'd you get set? You, you're looking at them. You know they need Jesus. But to confront them and tell them about God to you would be a problem. It might make you uncomfortable. It might bring some disturbance in your life. You ever witness to somebody? Sometimes you witness to people and they do say no. And they don't want to hear it. But sometimes you witness to people and they realize they're lepers. They realize they got something they can't fix. And they do like Naaman. And friends, here's the king of Israel. He should have said, oh, yeah, we got a prophet. I'll go get him for you. But he said, oh, woe is me. This is going to cause us trouble. It's going to be a threat to my position as the king. Oh, no, he's seeking a quarrel. If you're not willing to face a quarrel for a person's salvation, you'll never lead anyone to Christ. Because there are going to be those who will not want to hear it. But all of a sudden, you will find one sooner or later who say, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I need to believe? And so anyway, Elijah, the man of God, my hero, he hears about it. And he said, I can't believe that darn backslidden, ungodly king. Lord, take him out and give us a good man of God. You ever prayed that about the presidency? I have. All the time. But God says, go down there and show them that there is a God in the land of Israel, my chosen people. So Elijah goes down there. He said, king, don't quit tearing your clothes off. Calm down. Send him over with me. I'll take care of this. That's a man who knows God. Amen. And look at what it says in verse 8. So it was when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman, look at Naaman, just like lost people, Naaman went with his horses in his chariot and he stood at the door of Elijah. Man, he showed up with everybody. He didn't go by himself. He brought his whole, his war chariot with his war horses and he had all his entourage with him, his servants and his aides and he, he pulls up to let him know that the commander of the king's army of Syria is out here with a letter of authority from the king. And I got you a small fortune with me if you can heal me. He looks impressive, doesn't he? God's not impressed with our riches and our fame and all of our earthly accomplishments. Not when it's all tainted with sin just like his was all tainted with leprosy. Sooner or later, leprosy was going to win and Naaman was going to lose unless God did a miracle. For everybody you'll meet without Jesus, 
Sooner or later, sin's going to win if they don't meet Christ. If they don't come to the Savior who came to save sinners like us. And look at what it says. And Elijah sent a messenger. He didn't even go himself. He said, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. What's he doing? He's humbling him. Because the prerequisite to getting saved is getting broke. God don't fix you till you know you're broke. He don't save you till you know you're lost. Naaman thought he was somebody still. Elijah said, you ain't big enough that I'm going out there. I don't need to go. I just send my representative to represent the one I represent. If you'll believe me, you'll get healed. Jesus does the same thing. He puts preachers in pulpits to say, Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. He died and was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And if you believe in him with all your heart, it'll bring under you righteousness. And if you'll confess it with your mouth, it'll bring salvation. But lost people said it's got to be more than that. That don't make sense. That's crazy. Surely you got to do something spiritual looking. That's how Naaman thought. Look what Naaman said. He looks like the TV preachers. He needed to go see them. And Elijah sent a message to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored. I got a message for you. Go to the cross, get washed in the blood, and your sin will be removed. But that ain't good enough for most folks. They want Buddha, Allah, and everything else they can find that the devil has conjured up to look spiritual because it's something they do, and it makes them feel good, and it caters to their pride. But if there's any pride, there's no salvation. You got to die to self. You got to commit your life wholly to Jesus, or you'll die in your sins, my friend. And look at what happens here. Then Naaman became furious. He went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, Surely he'll come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. He'll wave his hands over me and place his sailing leprosy. Sounds like TV show, don't it? <laughs> you ever watch them? Friends, God don't need a big production to heal somebody. He needs somebody desperate enough to say, I ain't got nowhere else to go, and I'm believing you can do what you say, and I'm going to trust you. He'll save people in here today. There's lost people in here every Sunday. Y'all do know that. There's people who have church, but they don't have no relationship with Jesus. They don't get up, talk to him, go to bed talking to him. They're not God conscious every day. They're religious. Sunday is what you do, and hopefully you're all right. It's all what they've done. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. But they don't have a relationship where they are with God and they want to know God. They're not in the Word. They're not praying. They're just walking around with knowledge. He had knowledge. He knew where to go. He got told what to do, but he wouldn't do it. And so he's mad. And look what it says. He says, where I came from is better than this. He says, are not the... Abna and the Farber, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not have washed in one of them and gotten clean? So he turned and he went away in rage. Friends, it makes people in America offended when we tell them there's no way but Jesus to be saved. There's no other name given under heaven and earth by when much be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't believe me, look up the show of Oprah. Oprah had all these spiritual gurus on there with her speaking all this 
pit from hell, universalism, God's whoever you want him to be. And a little old innocent lady stood up and said, Jesus Christ said he's the only way to truth and life. Oprah got so full of the devil, she got so vicious. Oprah might give millions to help people, but that will never win her the salvation that Calvary could only pay for. And I'm not belittling Oprah. Praise God she's doing it. That's better than what a lot of them's doing with it. But that's not enough to get Oprah saved apart from Jesus. He said, the rivers where I come from are cleaner than that old muddy, dirty Jordan. But I got news for you. If that Jordan, muddy or not, was good enough for Jesus to get in, I'd be getting in her, amen? I, when I went to Israel, I'd been baptized twice. Once, really three. I christened as an infant in the Catholic Church. Baptized, lost at a church when I didn't even know who Jesus was. And then when I got saved, I got baptized. But you know what? When I went to Israel, I said, there's the, there's the Jordan River. That's the river Jesus got baptized. I got down there and let my stepdad, old brother Roy, baptize me. woo come up. I tell you what. You might say, I've been baptized twice. I don't need to do it again. I'd get baptized until I knew for sure I was saved. Amen. <laughs> baptism don't save you. But if you ain't saved, baptism ain't done nothing either. But friends, I want you to think about this. He's so full of pride. He's so full of where he's from. We're from Syria. I'm the, I'm the commander of the Lord's army of Syria. He thinks everything in Syria is better. But his servants of all the people, his slaves, look at him. And they say, Master, why are you getting mad? If he told you to just dip in the water seven times, just do what the man of God said, and you'll be healed. If Jesus said, come to the cross, come to the cross. If Jesus said, trust me and follow me, and you won't have to walk in darkness, and I'll lead you into the light, follow him. It's that simple. It's too simple for a lot of people. So he humbles himself. Can you imagine? The mighty king, I mean commander of the king's army, the highest rank, gets down in front of his entourage and his servants, and he gets down in that old muddy Jordan water. He gets down in it. And I imagine he's looking at him, and he's thinking, Lord, I hope this works, but he's desperate because he's a leper. And he ducks down in it one time, and he gets up, still there. He does it again. I imagine on about the third or fourth time he was thinking, surely this can't work. But he did what God said seven times. And when he came up the seventh time, he was clean. He was healed. He got his life back. He was no longer now a leper. I don't know about y'all, but I didn't believe everything that I know to believe now when I got saved. I only knew enough to believe Jesus is my only hope. And I believe you can save me and deliver me. You can change me. You can fix what I've messed up and fix my marriage. And I knelt down one time, just like this man, into the blood of Jesus, and I got up filled with the spirit of Jesus and I've been experiencing the love of Jesus and I didn't deserve it then I don't deserve it now and I never will deserve it because I'm a sinner and you are too I'm a leper apart from a miracle of God I have no chance at anything of spiritual value in my life but if I'll just connect to the vine of life like a branch and breathe and Take nourishment from Christ. He'll make sure I can do all things. 
But apart from him, I can do nothing and nobody else can either. But we forget that. It says right here, his servants came to him, spoke to him, and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than if he just tells you to wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. Did you catch that? According to the saying of not a man of God. Not your opinion, not the world's opinion. Thus saith the Lord and his servant. And look at what happens to him. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Don't that sound good, sinner friend? He was clean. You ever been unclean and tried to pray? You ever been unclean and tried to receive from the word of God? But the moment you break yourself and you're humbled and you get a right spirit with God, the word of God becomes life. Prayer becomes communication. And life becomes worth living. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Church will never do that for you. Never miss another Sunday. But you die without Jesus, you'll never see heaven one day. And friends, I want you to think about this. And he returned to the man of God. I want you to see the difference salvation makes. He returns to the man of God, he and all of his aides. And he came and he stood before him. And he said, indeed, now I know that there is a God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman says, I want you to see the change. That's what happens. When you get saved, you experience repentance. Repentance is a change of attitude that reduces a change of action. Your attitude changes, then your actions change. He was so prideful, he thought the rivers where he come from were better than any river in Israel. But now he done got saved. He knows this God is greater than his God. And he wants to go back and worship this God because he knows it's the true God. And listen to what he says. This is good, y'all. Listen to it. God showed me this this week, and it just made me want to shout. He wanted me to go dig a hole of dirt. He said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. So Naaman said, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of dirt. For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to the other gods, but to your God, the Lord. You know what he said? The dirt where I come from ain't worthy enough to kneel on and worship this God. I need some of his dirt. Can I get an amen? Could I have enough to build me an altar? Because where I'm going back, they ain't got this God. Where I'm going back, they don't know this God. And I'm going to kneel before him, and I hope he's going to do to them what he did to me. I don't know about you, but they don't know about the cross. They don't know about Jesus. They are lost. They're undone. They're spiritually stupid without help from God. And we were too. But one day Jesus showed up. Why ain't we talking about him? Why ain't we praising his name? Why do we spend more time telling our young folks about Santa than we do about the king of kings who left heaven, became one of us, lived a hard life but a sinless life, was sacrificed on the cross of Calvary, paid the price we couldn't pay, 
to purchase us from where we didn't belong, to put us to where we were created to be, to become a child of God, and we ain't satisfied enough. We got to go find alternatives to celebrate Christmas. And I ain't here to hurt your traditions, but I'm here to dare your traditions are the biggest enemy to the true meaning of cross and Jesus. Do you think the Holy Spirit would come up with the stuff that we've got that is the biggest distraction to the birth of Jesus. It can't be both. It's one or the other. Now, I know the kids are in here, so i got to shut up. I might mess something up. I did that one time, and people left the church. I'm not playing, hun, Diane. But you know what? I'm mad. I'm leaving the church. The sad thing is, one day they're going to wish they'd have told them more about Jesus than all that other foolishness put together. And friends, I don't know about y'all, but I'm praying that some of us will decide to be soul winners for Christmas because I got people right by me that don't know him. I got people everywhere I go that need him, and you do too. I want you to notice something. Who's the most important person in this story? Most of them say the man of God. He's important. But second, I'd say Naaman. Naaman's the main character of the story. The king of Syria, I applaud him. He did everything he could, and as best he knew, he did what he knew to do, and he helped Naaman get to what? The man of God, so that he could hear the message of God. The king of Israel, he's like the church. Soul winning's a problem to him. Soul winning makes him uncomfortable, so he don't have nothing to do with it. He's mourning. He don't want to have to witness He's wishing that lost name and never would have showed up. The man of God, thank God for him. Thank God God's got men of God. But no one, listen, the most important person in the story is the little slave girl because we wouldn't be reading this story if it wasn't for her. She's the one who was humbled enough, Christ-like enough to look at a man who took her from her family, took her from her home, brought him into his home, forced her to be part of her family and serve his wife and she still looked at him with mercy and told him where to go find grace and told the lady who she had to serve without a choice, her mistress said, if only your husband could meet the man of God where I come from he could be healed you know why people ain't here getting saved every Sunday? Y'all ain't bringing them you see that slave girl started the process. That wife heard it. Friends, listen, the message has got power to make people believe on its own. It ain't up to you to make them believe. That's up to God. She was in a fix. You may not believe this, but they got people way off worse than Naaman that you will be around this Christmas. And friends, that lady told Naaman. Naaman went and told the king. The king made sure he got him there. And when they got there, the man of God did what needed to be due. He didn't tell Naaman what he wanted to hear. He gave Naaman what he needed to hear. He didn't just heal him and leave him full of pride, proud Naaman. He broke him. He made him humble himself, and that's what the message does. That's why you got to repent. You can't stay the way you are. You can't just live like the world, go in the world, and add Jesus to your life. No, you got to turn from the world, turn to Jesus, and make Jesus your life.
this easy believism wash down, just add Jesus to your life, and you're set to go. It's sending more people to hell. We got people in the church that are lepers, full of sin. There's addictions in our life. There's problems in our life that we don't look at the way God sees them. God still calls drunkenness drunkenness. I know alcoholism is a problem more for others than some, just like some can be faithful to their wife more than some. Friends, we might call it a free marriage or an open marriage. God calls it fornication and adultery still to this day. And if we don't stay faithful to our spouse, we're no better. Sin always mars the life God created us to have, just like leprosy marred Naaman. So maybe today you are saved, but maybe some leprosy's crept in. Coming to church, giving an offering, good things. But sooner or later, you're going to have to get like old Naaman. You're going to have to get you a load of God's dirt. You're going to have to go find you a place to get where you kneel down before holy God. And you say, Lord, I worship you. Change me, fix me, help me. But Lord, don't leave me the way I am. I want you more than anything else. I don't care what people think. I don't care what the world thinks. All I'm worried about is what you know. Lord, change me. That's what I offer you today. It's a prayer away if you have never done it. If you believe Jesus died for you on the cross, that he's the son of God, that he gave his life for you, and he died, all you got to do today is say, I'm a sinner, and I can only be saved by what God provided. And if you'll just believe him and trust him, now this is what the Bible says. If you trust him, you're to follow up by coming forward before God's people and letting people know and commit to be baptized as an expression of what Christ has done. It's your first witness. You know what baptism primarily is when we baptize somebody? We're saying this person trusted Jesus. Jesus came into their life. The old man died, and now the new man has been raised to walk in the newness of life in Christ, and it's a picture of that watery grave. We lay in the old man to rest. They're coming up in the power of the resurrection to walk in the newness of life, and it's a testimony. The redeemed is saying, look what happened to me. It's a witness, and from there you go around telling people, I got saved. Jesus has helped me. Jesus can make a difference. Jesus is your hope. Today I'm here to tell you, my lost sinner friend, this is your blessed day. This is the day that God has given you an opportunity if you'll humble yourself like Naaman. You said, I ain't walking no aisle. Naaman dipped in the water seven times. Naaman didn't care what his people thought anymore, even his servants. Naaman said, I'm going to keep doing until I get clean. And when he came up the seventh time, he got clean. You know what? If you decide to accept Jesus, you'll be saved before you ever get up here with me. You take the first step, he'll help you take the rest. And we'll show you how to follow Jesus and get a new life if you'll come today and you're lost. But I want to talk to the saved. We ought to be ashamed of how little we tell people about Jesus. We need to do everything humanly possible to tell them about what God has done for us and to get them to where they can hear the man of God preach this message. Can you imagine if we could have had some of these good-for-nothings that live amongst us here this morning? What could have might have happened? See, I was a good-for-nothing one day for 33 years, but then I got saved. And anybody outside of Christ, when it comes to spiritual things and making an eternal difference and doing things of eternal value, we're all good-for-nothing. Friends, Naaman was a good man, but he was a leper. Some of us in here are good people, but we may be in sin. I want to invite you to the cross this morning. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to say a prayer. 
The message is not hard to understand. It's just difficult to obey. If you need to be saved, I'm going to ask you to just walk up here to me, and I'm just going to have a prayer with you, talk to you, and help you to know how to follow up and to follow Christ because he'll save you before you ever get up here to me. If you right now know you're not saved, I'm going to ask you as I pray this prayer to confess with me that, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I believe, Jesus, you are God's provision for my sin, that you died for me to forgive me, and that if I'll trust you now, you'll save me, and I want to follow you. So I'm going to take the first step this morning and stepping out and publicly telling the preacher that I want to accept you as my Savior. And I'm going to stand before people unashamed, and I'm going to let the redeemed say so. I'm going to testify because I've been in the blood, and i got a testimony now. So as I pray the blood over your life, if you can get under it, I'm going to ask you to publicly proclaim that. We're going to celebrate with you, but more than that, heaven is too. Because you're going to get saved right now. You say, that's hard to believe. It's hard to believe dipping in water seven times will clean you. But it did. Jesus will save you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we're all sinners in need of grace. But Lord, right now, if there's somebody here who believes like we believed once, that you died for us, help him to believe. If he believes you rose from the dead and you live now to help him, Help that person to admit he's a saved sinner and he needs to be saved and help him right now to accept you. And Lord, I pray that you, not me or my ability to motivate, but your spirit would move on these people who are lost in here and someone would be saved today. Help that to happen, Lord. And for us who are saved, forgive us for our mouths being so backslidden and quiet. Lord, I heard that Charles Hayden Spurgeon said there's only two kinds of people in the church, soul winners and backsliders. This morning, which one are we, Lord? We can't be both. I want to be a soul winner, and I want to pastor people who are soul winners. So start with me, Lord. Help me to witness more and testify more. But Lord, right now I'm praying for the lost man who's struggling. They know they need to make a decision for you. Help them to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm waiting. If you need to come, the Lord will save you. If you'll just come up here and say, I want to be saved, he'll save you. Best Christmas you'll ever get.